Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Firing hundreds more rockets. A mass shooting aimed at elementary school children. Nuclear threats out of North Korea. And at least 50 people were hit. Something just blew up. And... We are in search and rescue mode. The fuse of nuclear war is slowly burning. Welcome you to Liquid. Hey, let's give a big Liquid welcome to all of our brothers and sisters in Nutley and New Brunswick. Glad you guys are with us. Welcome, guys. Great to have you. Mountainside Campus launching soon. We are in this final week of our series, Signs, Bible Prophecy, and the End Times. We have covered a lot of territory. We've gone from Genesis to Revelation, look at Israel and Islam, Armageddon in America, you know, the rapture, return of Christ, a lot of stuff. But today we get to my favorite part, and that is heaven. Heaven on earth, what will your life look like in the afterlife? Now, be honest, when you say the word heaven, a lot of people, what do you picture, okay? Because I think a lot of people think of, oh, heaven, you know, these chubby little cherubs, you know, sitting on clouds, strumming harps, right, somewhere off in the, you know, in the sky. That is totally lame, it is totally anemic, and it is totally non-biblical, in fact. The reality of heaven, according to Revelation, is much more earthy than that. Heaven is not some disembodied mystical realm out in space, but according to the Bible, heaven will one day be a place on earth, the earth where you and I sit right now. I realize this isn't talked about in in a lot of churches, so I'm really anxious to show you what prophecy reveals your future home will be like. So would you take your Bible and open it up to Revelation chapter 21, it's on page 872. This is the next to the last chapter of the New Testament, very easy to find, it gives us a tantalizing glimpse into the future that awaits everybody who trusts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Revelation, you can see the word reveal in there, and it means unveiling. This is the prophecy God unveiled to John. He pulls the curtain back and gives him this picture of eternity, the new heaven and earth that await us. Revelation 21, we'll start at verse 1. Here's how John records the vision. He says, then I saw a, let's read this together, a New heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will, let's say this together, dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, uh, let's say it together, ready? 
I am making everything new, new. And we're just going to pause here because this description of heaven is stunning in its implications. Think about a, your resurrected body, a resurrected life with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. That's kind of incredible. According to uh, John, heaven is like earth. It's a city, he says, with walls and streets and gates and gardens with people and animals living in harmony. There is actually work to do. There are realms to explore with God at the center of all of it. No tears, no pain, no suffering, no death. All that vanished forever. Does that sound too good to be true? You can only imagine. I remember um, growing up as a little boy learning about heaven in Sunday school. And at our church, I had to wear a little suit and tie on Sundays, right? And so I would go to Sunday school and sit there in my suit and tie, and I'd be like, I can't wait to get out of church, you know, kind of thing. And the teacher said, well, you know, you believe in Jesus, you get to go to heaven. And I was like, what do you do in heaven? And she said, oh, I'm glad you asked, Timmy. Uh, We will be worshiping God forever and ever. What that means is we'll be singing and we'll be praising him, and it'll never end. And I'm sitting there in my little suit and tie, and I'm like, oh, great. Heaven is like a church service that never ends, right? This like hymn sing that just goes on and on and on, which if you had heard our church's choir was more like hell than heaven, all right? We have a hard time actually envisioning what the new heaven and earth will be like, and there's a reason for that. Because right now, you and I don't live on the new earth described in Revelation. Instead, we live on the present earth. Does this look familiar? This is your home. You are here right now. I put a few pictures in your notes today. If you're a visual learner, you can follow along. But here's what the Bible says about this present planet. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. There's that childbirth image again, right up to the present time. So in other words, even if you don't believe everything the Bible says, you're just checking out Christianity, you would have to agree that this present planet is broken in some ways, right? You can draw a crack on earth there in your notes because something has gone wrong with it. Things are not as the way they should be. There are earthquakes, there are tsunamis, there are hurricanes, there's poverty, there's war, there's famine, plague, disease, death, decay. People get prostate cancer. Kids get abused. We all have this instinctive sense that things in this world are broken. The Bible says creation's been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Hear those contractions again. And not only is the planet falling apart, the body, the Bible says your body is too. Look at this. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is why some of you go to the gym, okay? You run on the treadmill, you lift weights because you're fighting the effects of entropy. Things break down. Gravity happens. Stuff that was, you know, once tight, now it's kind of like, oh, look at this, all right? You will not win this battle. I'm just telling you. You may delay this, but your body is breaking down because that's life on the present planet, which is under the curse of sin and death. That began in Genesis 3, when our parents, Adam and Eve, actually rebelled against God, said, we're going to go our own way. We don't need our creator. And that relationship with our creator was severed. And suddenly, sin and death now infect the planet. So our home is broken, your bodies are broken, which is why you long for heaven. See, just like there is a present earth, the Bible teaches there is a present heaven. And I'm going to put a crown here to represent that because heaven is the dwelling place of God himself. It is the realm where God rules and he reigns in all of his glory, where God's will is done. And Satan and sin and death are not permitted in God's presence. That's heaven. And that's great news, honestly, to those of us who believe, because if you remember, 
What the Bible teaches is that when you die, your body goes in the ground on this present earth, but your soul goes to heaven. You are instantly in the presence of the Lord when you pass from this present life. In fact, Paul writes, we are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body on earth and at home with the Lord in heaven. So your body dies and goes in the ground. Your spirit goes to heaven. And Paul's like, that's a source of confidence, especially if you've lost a loved one, right? If, if they've trusted Christ for salvation, you're like, I know where they are right now with confidence. Five years ago, I lost my grandmother, Elizabeth. We called her Nana. Nana, may she rest in peace. But the reality is, even though right now I know where her body is, it's in the ground at a cemetery in Patterson, okay? Her soul has never been more alive right now than in the presence of Jesus Christ. And what we have confidence of is that the return of Jesus, Nana's body will be resurrected just like Jesus's was, rejoined with her soul and then glorified to a level we've never seen. Not back to its original condition. Like I was younger, you know, I'm younger when she died. And what I, I have in my head of her, you know, she was older. She had a lot of wrinkles, kind of had that prune smell that like old folks sometimes have, you know. And it's not like when we get to heaven, it's going to be like, well, where's grandma? You know, that's not it. She's going to be strengthened. She is going to be energized because Jesus says, I'm making everything and everyone new. And that's why Paul writes, to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. If I am to go on living in this body, it'll mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. In other words, Paul was looking forward to heaven. He was like, I, I enjoy being on earth with those I love. I feel the same way. I love being with my wife, spending time with my kids. I, I, I love being with you. I love that. But truth be told, Paul says, being with Christ in heaven is, is better by far. Not just because Nana is there, but Revelation 21 says, the heaven that you'll be in, that present heaven, is actually temporary. Theologians call it an intermediate heaven. It's this transitional realm where those who die on this present earth go to the present heaven waiting for Jesus to return. Now, this is not like purgatory. That's a Catholic teaching. We don't believe in purgatory. But after Christ returns, the Bible says every believer down through the ages will receive their resurrected body, and then together we're going to make our final home in what the Bible calls the new earth. And you'll notice this world has a crown on it because God is bringing heaven down to earth. That's what John describes here in Revelation. Look again, he says, Then I saw it, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. In other words, just like our bodies pass away, but they don't really go away because they're going to be glorified. Same thing with the earth. It's going to pass away, but it'll be resurrected. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will be what? With them, will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's your future home the new earth, when the dwelling place of God will be with men and women. And this is pretty cool because you know what it means? God never gave up on his original plan. Ever since Genesis, the beginning, God's greatest desire has been to live with his children in a paradise that he created for them. Think about this. In Genesis, God could have taken Adam and Eve up to heaven to be with him. Instead, he actually came down and walked with them in the cool of the day. In the New Testament, God descends. He sends the Son of God, Jesus, to this earth. He takes on flesh and blood, and he made his dwelling among us. And guess what? It's going to happen again. As Randy Alcorn writes in his excellent book, brilliant book on heaven, he says, this is a picture of God's ultimate plan, not to take us up to live in a realm made for him, 
but to come down and live with us in the realm he made for us. See, guys, this present world is not your home, but it will be one day. One day, heaven will be a place on earth. You remember that old song, uh, Belinda Carlisle, ooh, heaven is a place on earth. You want to hear me sing it? I'm not going to inflict that damage on you, all right? Heaven on earth, theologically, she's not far off because take this in because this is a truth you may not have heard before. One day, according to prophecy, heaven will be a place on earth. The old earth will pass away. The king will return and he will restore his creation. So I'm not talking about like some far off airy fairy spiritual realm that you're teleported to. But this earth, the present earth, renewed, restored, redeemed are a broken planet, whole and healed. No more sin, no more crime, no more pollution, no more horrors of humanity. Jesus says, I'm making everything new, and that includes the earth. It's going to be better than before. It's going to be new and improved on a level you can't imagine. But I'm guessing you have tasted certain moments when you're like, I think, I think this is what it might be like. Ever be in a place of like such beauty or, or in a paradise like with somebody you loved, and that curtain between heaven and earth kind of grows very thin. For me, it was my honeymoon in Bermuda. I took my uh, wife, Colleen, snorkeling for the first time. Any snorkels, snorkelers here? Anybody do that? I love it. It's incredible. I'd never done it before. Jersey guy, I go to Bermuda. I put this, you know, you know, and I get under there. I'm like, holy smokes. It's like this whole universe I had never seen before. Turquoise, sea, white powder, sand. I see these tropical fish. They're iridescent. We're, so we're I'm like, this amazing look. I'm like, you know, and, uh, and we see this um, long silver fish. I'm like, that's beautiful. And the guy's like, barracuda, you know? And I was like, Colleen, it's a barracuda. And I'm like, where's Colleen? I get up out of the water and she's on the beach. She goes, have fun. You're not going back. And so I spent the rest of the afternoon snorkeling by myself, and it was incredible because I'm around these reefs that are like purple and, and, uh, and pink, and part of the reef is actually moving like this, like it's alive. And I'm like, I know you're not supposed to touch the reef, but eh, touch, you know? And, and all of a sudden, the reef goes, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. it was an octopus, a little baby octopus. Whoosh, whoosh. And I'm like swimming after. I'm like, touch, and it just goes, Pff. it inked me. It actually, I was like, this is the coolest moment of my whole life, man. I'm like a Jersey guy. I just got inked by an octopus. This is incredible. And I spent the whole, I, was, I loved it. It was paradise because I was exploring this new realm and I was in the presence of the person I loved the most, Colleen. And in other words, it was a taste of Eden. That's what Eden is. It's paradise. That's why we call it a honeymoon. It's very simple. There's intimacy. There's adventure. We had it very simple. Every morning we go to the beach, then we go to the buffet, then we go back to bed. Beach, buffet, bed, beach, buffet, bed, repeat, okay? That's what you were created for, heaven on earth. What, what's that place? Well, that's it. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> what's that place for you where, where you felt closest to your creator, right? Maybe, maybe it's, you know, a, a place in nature. Maybe it's hiking in the mountains or working in your garden or riding your Harley with friends. For some people, it's playing music or writing or making good art, painting, whatever. Remember, God's a creator. He makes us in his image. And in the garden, he gave us work to do. And the good news, folks, is that's the reality of the new earth. The Bible doesn't describe it as this far-off, mystical, airy-fairy realm in the, in the clouds. According to Revelation, heaven will be a place on earth. As Second Peter predicts, it says, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth the home of righteousness. You can only imagine. Because right now, what we have experienced is a broken version of it. This current planet is a pale, polluted imitation of the original, amen? 
but it's also a preview of your future home. Everything that you love about life here on earth is just a foretaste. It's a glimpse. It's a foretaste of your final destination in Christ. Notice how John gives this list of things that won't be in heaven. He's like, you're not going to see a lot of things. He's like, you won't see death and tears and crying and pain. All that old order of stuff has passed away. So can you envision this? I mean, here are some things you will not see in heaven. No more wheelchairs. No more hospitals. No chronic illness. Doctors, medical professionals, you out of business. I'm sorry. I know you just got your degree, but you're out of business. You got to look for a new job. No graveyards. No funerals. I had coffee with a guy in a congregation who sells cemetery plots. I was like, you're going to have to find a new line of work, man. I'm sorry. No child poverty, no violence, no terrorists, criminals, dictators, murderers, rapists, no more. No police, no disaster relief because it's the kingdom of God. Kingdom, kingdom means where the king dominates. What God wants done will be done. And he will rule with perfect justice and righteousness that we long for right now. So I want you to envision, it's hard to envision. Think about this world and all the things that grieve us right now are gone. Revelation 22 says, no longer will there be any what? Curse. You know what that means? That means no more cancer. Can we hear it for that? Praise God for that. No multiple sclerosis, no divorce, no oncologists, no lawyers. Thank goodness, no lawyers, all right? No poverty, no pollution, no pornography, no politicians, and no preachers. I'll be out of a job, okay? I'm just telling you. You're not going to be like, Tim, can you answer a question? I'm like, go ask God yourself, okay? Look at it. It says the throne of God and the lamb will be in the city. His servants will serve him and they will, let's say this together, see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. That's amazing. In the Old Testament, God said, Moses, you don't look at my face because anyone looks at my face, you're going to die. You died if you saw the face of God because his glory was so brilliant. But on the new earth, we're told we will see him face to face. Children reunited with their heavenly father. Don't you ever wonder what the face of God looks like? You may have heard the story of two brothers who always argued what color was Jesus? Was Jesus black or white? The one brother always said, you know, oh, I think Jesus is white. And the other guy says, I'm not so sure. He was Middle Eastern. I think he might be more black. Was Jesus black or white? Always argued while they were alive. They died on the same day. They go to heaven. They're at the, you know, at the gates of heaven. They asked the St. Peter. They said, oh, you can finally settle this for us. So what is Jesus? Is Jesus black or is Jesus white? And at that very moment, Jesus himself walked by and said, buenos dias. <laughs> I think we're going to be surprised by some of the things that we're going to see in heaven. John lists a bunch of the things, but the question is, you know, what we won't see. The question is, well, what will we see? Again, not disembodied, you know, spirits floating around. According to Revelation, heaven is earthy. First off, notice John calls it the holy city. In other words, it's concrete. It's tangible. It has gates. It has walls. It has streets, according to John. It's a physical structure. Look at verse 15. He says, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city. It's gates and it's walls. In other words, he takes out a tape measure. Does this sound like airy-fairy to you, right? I mean, this is very specific. Uh, It was as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 1,200 stadia in length. And you can see in your footnotes, that's about 1,400 miles. That is roughly the distance from New York City to Florida. So, So John gets out this tape measure, okay? This is not like foggy or like, I don't know what it'll be like. The angel measured, next, next verse, throw this up here. The angel measured the wall using human measurements, 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, and this is interesting. The city of pure gold, so what color is it? Yellow? No. As pure as glass. In other words, you see here 
the building elements that we recognize, precious stones and metals and gold. But again, the stereotype is, oh, streets of gold, like follow the yellow brick road. No, the gold here is transparent. Have you ever seen gold so pure it's like glass you can see through it? In other words, the city is constructed of recognizable elements that we have on this present planet, only they're refined to their purest form. I hope you like urban living (laughs) because heaven is a city. What's in a city? You know, a city's filled with restaurants and art and music and commerce, all the things that a normal earthly city has. Think of New York City. Actually, don't think of New York City. (laughs) Think of New York on a crisp fall day, minus the traffic and the rude people, okay? In the King James Version, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Homes, mansions. The NIV says many rooms. In other words, you'll have your own dwelling place, decorated not by Martha Stewart, but by God himself. Now think about this. The world we live in, God created in how many days? Six days. Jesus has been working on your eternal home for 2,000 years. What do you think that will look like? You can't imagine. In fact, Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, No human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. If you love Jesus Christ, this is your wedding present. He says God's revealed it to us by his spirit. In other words, the reason of revelation is that God wants to give you a prophetic preview because you don't have a point of reference right now for this kind of excellence and beauty. Glorified people with glorified bodies, living in a glorified city. Did you notice the the name of the city is the New Jerusalem? You see Salem in that. Salem means peace. It's going to be a city of peace. And what is in a real city, right? People. All believers and, and saints down through the ages will be there to welcome you. John says, after this I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one can count. And let's read the yellow together. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I hope you like diversity, okay? Scripture says every race, every nationality, ethnicity, and tongue will be represented in heaven. I think a lot of Christians are going to be surprised by who's there. It reminds me of the story you might have heard of a a man who died. He was a devout Christian. He gets to the gates and says, hey, St. Peter, can I have a tour of of heaven? And so St. Peter leads him from room to room and points out all the different Christians. He says, oh, those are the Catholics, those are the Lutherans, over there are the Methodists, the Presbyterians, and so forth. And then they come to this one room where the door is closed. And he can see there are people just huddled in the back quiet by themselves. And Peter whispers, oh, be very quiet as we walk past this one. And they walk past the room. And they get past it, and the guy says, why do we have to be so quiet? And Peter says, oh, those are the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> so, ah, all right, little Baptist, little Baptist. Don't email me, Baptist, all right? That, we're non-denominational, man, all right? Equal opportunity offender. The reality is it doesn't matter what denomination you are in heaven because you don't get into heaven based on attending church. You don't get into heaven if you grew up, uh, you know, in a Christian family. The only thing that qualifies you to get into heaven is when you answer the question, what did you do with Jesus Christ? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Say it together. No one comes to the Father except through me. What did you do with Jesus? That's what you have to answer. Was he just a good teacher to you? An inspiring historical figure? Or is he the 
creator of the universe, your Lord, your personal Savior. See, the reality is, it's, good, it's not about good people going to heaven. You don't get into heaven based on the good things you do, but on what Christ did for you on the cross. Believers, people who are saved, believe that Jesus Christ shed his blood, and that blood was to forgive our sin. He did this out of love. And that sacrifice of Christ in our place is what's required to get into heaven. In other words, God removes our sin, and guess what? We get the righteousness or the goodness of Christ. That's how then God sees us, and we get to enter his holy presence. You have to be a saint to get into heaven. I, I saw that in the news this week. They were sainting somebody, and a lot of people, that's a misunderstood term. You know what a saint is? Let me, let me clarify this for you. It's not like a special spiritual person. A saint is an ordinary sinner who has received the righteousness of Jesus. In other words, you are a saint. This is going to sound weird, right? It's like Saint Timothy. Don't laugh, okay? Saint Dan, Saint Tabitha, Saint, you are a saint. That's how God sees you. You don't have to feel like it. You're like, you know, I don't live a perfect life. Of course, that's why you need Jesus. And then God sees Christ's righteousness in you, and you are accepted into his place. Are you a saint? I hope you are, because that's who gets into heaven. The Bible says the new earth will be populated with saints from all time. Moses will be there. What was it like to part the Red Sea? Elijah, how do you call the fire from heaven? Think of the saints on earth, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. I think there will be other surprises. I think there will be notorious bad guys who will be like, what are they doing here? You guys know Jeffrey Dahmer? Remember him? Just barbaric, you know, I won't even go into his crimes. I read this interview with him where he actually said, when he was in prison, he said, I realize I'm a monster here on earth and I deserve justice. He says, but I also realize that there was a Savior who died for me. And he repented of his sin and trusted Christ for salvation in prison. And then he actually was murdered in prison. I think we're going to be surprised. Because there will be trophies of God's radical grace, of his mercy and forgiveness for any man, woman, or child who's just humble enough to admit they got nothing, but Christ did it all for them. So understand, no matter where you've been, what you've done, you can make your eternal home in heaven through Christ. People have a lot of questions about heaven. I, I, a question a lot of people ask are, um, you know, will I, will I recognize family and friends, right? And the answer is yes. Not only will you recognize your loved ones, the Bible says we will know them deeply. In other words, on an intimate level that we have yet to experience. In 1 Corinthians 13, look what it says. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. Isn't that beautiful? That means even if you don't have a perfect relationship with your parents or a perfect relationship with your kids or a perfect relationship with your spouse, you will one day, they will know you, like biblically know you. You will know them. You'll have that soul-to-soul connection and face-to-face transparency that marks the best human relationships on earth. Folks sometimes ask, is there marriage in heaven? I put all these questions in your notes today, by the way, with scripture references. I'm not going to go through all of them. You can look these up this week, but these are some of the questions people ask. It's interesting about marriage because um, there are parallels on the new earth with the uh, with our present world, but it's not a one-for-one correspondence. For instance, like marriage, Jesus was asked a question about marriage in heaven. He said, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And Depending on the state of your marriage, this is either sad news or good news. You're like, <laughs> get that. Some of you are like, Woo. single people often get bombed because like, oh man, I would. Listen, the point isn't about depriving you of human relationships. The point is, is that marriage isn't needed anymore in heaven because there will be one marriage. We will all be married to Jesus Christ. 
There is one wedding between the bridegroom, the perfect spouse, Jesus Christ, and his bride, the church. That's you and me, okay? So marriage on this earth, what's it for? Remember? It's a reflection of the gospel. Of our, it's an imperfect preview of the intimacy, the love, the companionship that we will one day experience with Christ in his heaven. So don't get bummed out if you're single or if your marriage isn't perfect. Here on this present earth, everybody wants a perfect relationship, but on the new earth, you will get it, okay? And it will blow away all our modest hopes for happiness. On the new earth, we'll still love our spouses, our family, our friends. That's very clear. But our relationship with Christ will trump all of them. So remember this. When you see things in this world that you long for, everything in this world points to something infinitely greater in the world to come. Somebody emailed me, is there sex in heaven? Uh, first off, thank you for asking what everyone is thinking. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, but but think, you got to think a higher thought, okay? It's not like, oh, I hope so. What makes sex great, right? It's not just the body to body. It's a soul-to-soul thing. When you know somebody and you feel known, you're naked and unashamed. That's what it was in the garden. God invents this, right? He says, there's going to be this powerful bonding where you feel accepted and loved and your deepest secrets are known. It's going to be even greater than that in the world to come. Uh, Somebody emailed me this idea. They said, um, this is kind of fun. He said, I think everyone in heaven has buff, naked, 33-year-old bodies, but there's no lust. I'm not so sure about sex. I think God has surprises. I have this feeling that he says, oh, nobody up here does sex because we have something even better. It's known as surprise. I was like, that's, that's theological imagination here, right? I mean, that is, and that's the thing. The theology of heaven raises all these questions, but you know what? The Bible actually gives answers. Some of them are very clear. Some of them you have to dig for. For instance, people always ask, are there animals in heaven? And let me just tell you something, all right? As a dog lover, I hope so, personally, okay? But here's the problem. Christians don't actually read the Bible. They just speculate. They're like, oh, no, I think all dogs go to heaven. I read that somewhere. That's a movie, okay? That's not the answer. (laughs) You just have to think biblically. Think about it. From Genesis, right? Were animals part of God's original creation? Yes, right? He brings them to Adam to name each one. When the old earth was flooded, what did God do with the animals? He brought them on the ark to protect and preserve the creatures, The prophet Isaiah says in in the new heaven, the lion will lay down with the lamb. In other words, there's continuity in creation. Are animals on the new earth? Of course. If heaven is a place of joy, you know dogs are going to be there, right? Cats, on the other hand, not so much. Straight to the hot place, cat people. I'm sorry. Don't email me, all right, cat people? I, they get like, I got that. I have allergies, okay? That's why I'm like a little hostile. Toward, but no allergies in heaven, so carry on, pussycat. All right. It's funny because pe- that's the thing. People have this airy-fairy idea. Pe- I've actually had people ask me, and said, you know what? I'm worried about heaven. I said, why? And they said, I think I'm going to be bored. Is there stuff to do? Our vision of heaven, guys, is so anemic. I had a friend who likes golf once tell me, he said, I think heaven is like a long, never-ending round of golf. And I was like, that's funny, sounds like hell to me. Um, You don't create God or heaven in your own image. Heaven's dynamic. God is restoring his original creation to its original purpose. What were you and I originally created for? Answer, to rule and to reign with Christ forever. We are God's co-heirs. He put Adam and Eve in the garden He said, I want you to subdue it. I want you to work it. I want you to rule over it. That was our original mandate. But we failed at that. Our father, Adam, flunked the test. But here in Revelation, the second Adam appears. 
Jesus marries his church. He reverses the curse. And you and I who have trusted Christ, it says Christ is the king. We are his queen. And together, Revelation 22 says, we will, what's the word? Reign forever and ever. In other words, God's creating a whole new universe for us to rule and reign over with him. That's not just flattering ourselves, guys. That was your original purpose, and it is your future destiny in Christ. In his parables, Jesus speaks of our ruling over cities. The apostle Paul says, hey, don't you realize you're going to judge angels? And the idea here is that God is grooming us for leadership. Right now, he is watching to see how faithful you are in this life so he can entrust you with authority in the life to come. And this is breathtaking, folks. I want you to think about this. Think about this. Your life right now is a warm-up act. Your life right now is a training ground. It's a rehearsal of sorts for the life to come. Because the new earth is the centerpiece of this new universe that is expanding at the speed of light. Let me show you a picture that will rock your socks. This is the photo that stunned the scientific world. It's a collection of galaxies photographed by the Hubble Space Telescope. This is actually not Photoshop. Look at this. There are more than 3,000 galaxies in this little picture, okay? Each of them has, on average, 100 billion stars each. Now, on Earth today, this is man's deepest view of God's universe, and it's a sliver. This is a speck of sky, 130th the diameter of the moon. Translation, there are billions and billions of these galaxies that God created, is still creating, is exploding, brimming with beauty and life, waiting to be explored, discovered, ruled, governed in a very real way, You're a cosmic apprentice to the master of the universe. This was God's plan for human life from the beginning of history, his story. And it will be your story in Revelation to rule and reign with Christ over his creation. And we wonder, will heaven be boring? (sighs) No eye has seen, no mind has conceived what God's prepared for those who love him. You can only imagine what awaits you in eternity because everywhere you turn, new worlds to explore, to explore with people you love, new experiences to savor, with people you love, and with a Savior who loves you most of all. If you are a follower of Christ, that's your future. Romans says you are co-heirs with Christ. And what that means is your present life on earth counts for eternity. The greatest words that a Christian can hope to hear in heaven come from Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with what? A few things on earth, I'll put you in charge of many things in heaven. Your life in this world is training for the life to come. That's why, so it's not about like, I just got to obey the rules and get into heaven. That's not the gospel. It's grow in grace and humility. Be generous with the talents and the resources that you're given. Use your money to build the kingdom because God's grooming you for leadership, a lifetime of reigning and ruling the universe under the Son's authority to the glory of God the Father. That's eternity, guys. Welcome home. Or should I say welcome back? See, if you haven't noticed in the series, there's this symmetry to history, to, to his story. What God began in Genesis, the beginning, was ruined by Satan. Our broken planet where Satan, sin, and death, they still have power. We live on the space in between. But here in Revelation, God's plan from the beginning comes full circle. It's revealed. The Savior comes and he get, God gets what God wants. <laughs> and in the final chapter, you'll see at the center of paradise is the tree of life. You can read Revelation 22 if you have time this week. But the last time we saw the tree of life 
was in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. And it says its leaves are used to heal the nations, everything on the broken planet, and we're free now to eat of the tree of life. In other words, Eden is finally restored. Paradise was lost in Genesis, but the curse is reversed in Revelation. And guys, that's where history is headed. God the Father comes home to live with the children he loves on the paradise he originally intended. That is so hopeful to me, to know that my Heavenly Father never gave up on his original creation. History, God's story, your story, all goes under one word. It's about restoration, the renewal of all things. Can you say restoration? Restoration. Behold, I'm making everything new. Restoration means you return something to the original condition that was ruined or lost. So your bodies, our relationships, our environment, our planet, all are going to be restored by Christ one day. And if you misunderstand restoration theology, you will misunderstand your purpose on earth. See, the revelation of heaven has to impact your life on earth if it's worth a hill of beans. If, if this doesn't impact the way you live on Monday, this is worth nothing. This is so important. I was like, how do I end this series? And I was like, let's end it by asking the so what question. <laughs> because we've covered a lot of material about the end times, right? From the Middle East to the rapture, the future heaven. Theologians call everything we've just been talking about eschatology. It just means what you believe about death, the end of the world, and the future life. Any eschatology worth its weight should impact not just the future, but the way you live in the present right now. I've met believers who are so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. They debate all the doctrine. They say, well, I think the Antichrist, blah, 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 blah. And they neglect to love their own families right in front of them (laughs) or take care of the creation that they've been given stewardship of. Here's the deal. I grew up in a church that basically taught this present world is going to hell in a handbasket. Okay, that was their theology. Everything on the planet's going to burn in the wrath of God, so why would you bother trying to change or improve the culture, right? Just warn people of the coming judgment and get into the ark, okay? (laughs) Some Christians think like that. Like the rapture is God's, abandon ship, everything's going to go to hell. That's not true. (laughs) Not by a long shot, according to Revelation. Revelation says God created this earth and everything in it, in this world, is destined for restoration, for recreation and renewal. You know what that means? Christians are supposed to be the most engaged in terms of caretaking for our planet and life on our planet. Christians are the ones who should feed the homeless. Christians are the ones who should adopt children. Christians are the ones who should fight for human rights. Why? Because that's the kingdom coming. In the kingdom, in heaven, everybody is adopted. Everybody has clean water. There's no homeless. Everybody has a place to dwell. It changes the way you view right now. Because right now, we look at people like the poor, and they're last in line. But in history, we know the last shall be what? First. The world's going to get turned upside down when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. C.S. Lewis said this. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. In other words, they looked at the future, the arc of where history is headed, and realized, oh my goodness, it's our job to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. There is healing in heaven, so we care for the sick. There is justice in heaven, so we fight for the rights of those who have none. This is our mission, guys, as Jesus' church. We're supposed to give people a foretaste of the Father's love and mercy and compassion because we're like, that's what the world's going to be like. 
So let me just challenge you with a practical example. This week, we sent a clean water team to Nicaragua to drill a clean water well in the village of Lomas del Penesilo, about two hours north of Managua. And here's the funny thing. Well, this isn't funny. The people there, they have no source of clean water, okay? The kids have chronic dysentery and infection. They are always sick. In heaven, there's no sickness. And we're like, in heaven, there's clean water, so we're going to help. We sent this team of 12 volunteers from Liquid down this week. They gave up their vacation. Many of them took time off from work to bring clean water to the poorest of the poor in Christ's name. Now, why do we do that as a church? Is it because we're good people? Uh, you know, we like social justice? No. We love people. Everybody's made in the image of God. But the main reason is that our job is to bring heaven to earth in Jesus' name. And in heaven, kids don't get sick. In heaven, there are no thirsty people. Everybody has clean water to drink. Again, read Revelation 22. John says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God down the middle of the great street of the city. And everyone in Aksa, everyone in, in, in heaven has food to eat, water to drink. It's not just physical water. This is spiritual too, the living water of God himself. That's why we call our church liquid because Jesus says, I'm the living water. You're going to drink of me. You're going to have life. And Jesus says in Revelation, let the one who's thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Water is free. Salvation is free. It's necessary for life, just like water is. So in a practical way, hands-on, we live out our eschatology as a church by bringing heaven to earth for the poorest of the poor in the nations of the world. We bring clean water to people who have none, and we believe that's close to God's heart because it's about compassion. It's about healing and justice and people's needs being met. In heaven, kids don't get stomach cramps. There's no cholera. There's no typhoid. Everybody gets to drink. So we're like, let's give them a taste of it right now. That's our mission as people of the kingdom. Now watch this. The liquid water team flew down to Nicaragua um, this week, and um, they drilled for three days and hit rock. They could not break through. They had to start over. It is very hard work. Um, they were just totally demoralized on Wednesday, and so they went to another village on Thursday. They only had 48 hours to do it. They started a second well in the village of Los Carmones. They worked in shifts all day, around the clock, rotating between drilling and carrying pipes and playing with the kids. And here's the exciting news. Watch this. After six hours, they hit clean water at 120 feet. Can we hear it for them? People start going, agua, agua, water, water, water. And guess what? Disease rates are going to go down. Guys, that's what good eschatology looks like. Because heaven's a place where no one goes thirsty. We think earth should be the same way. And we're going to bring heaven to earth for some of God's thirsty children in Nicaragua. Amen? And guess what? All that effort, none of it goes to waste. This isn't just like charity. It doesn't burn up in the end times. Jesus said not one drop of your love or your effort will be wasted on those kids. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, truly I tell you, that person will not lose their, what's the word here? Reward. Reward where? In heaven. Everything on earth counts for eternity. Heaven is history. History is his story, and your story is part of his story. So how are you spending your life? That's my closing challenge to you. Does your current life bring heaven to earth? Does it? Or does it just contribute to the misery? Or are you like paralyzed by apathy? Ah, I don't really know. I mean, none of it you know, makes any difference. Your view of the end times should make you live in light of eternity. When you look at the picture of future heaven, that should inspire you to make a difference on present earth. That's why God gives you the revelation. He wants, not so you can abandon ship, 
but join your father's restorational mission to this broken planet to be the answer to Jesus' prayer. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you are debating what to put your trust in, maybe you're here kicking the tires of Christianity. Maybe I talked to someone after the earlier service. They were like, I come from a Hindu background. I've looked into Islam. I'm just searching. I said, you know how you weigh if a religion is worth following? Look at its eschatology. What does it inspire you to do? Does your view of the end times inspire you to fly planes into buildings? Or does it inspire you to sacrifice what you have to serve the poorest of the poor? Because that's the vision of Jesus Christ, and you get a choice. A good eschatology, what you believe about God, this world, and the world to come should impact the way you live now on this present planet. That's why we care for the sick. That's why we clothe and feed the homeless. That's why we adopt orphans. As C.S. Lewis said, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, that they've become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So let me challenge you. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, does your life bring heaven to earth in the here and now? If you don't know how to answer that question, I'm going to challenge you, real simple step. Go on a clean water trip in 2014. All our trips to Nicaragua, they're booked for the rest of the year, but we have three upcoming trips next year, February, May, and October. We listed this in your notes. You can go to liquidchurch.com, get more information on that. But history, guys, history, we're living it. It's his story, and you have a part to play in his story. So spend your hours wisely. We get a few years on this broken planet, but we know one day where it's going. Full restoration, full healing, full justice, and one day heaven will be a place on earth. So let's give people a taste of it now, amen? All our campuses, let's bow our heads. I want to pray for us right now. Father God, we're thanking you for God the Son. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this revelation of Jesus Christ. It, it makes our, stirs our spirit. It makes us hungry for heaven. We are, war, we are aware of so much brokenness right now in the world around us, God. And sometimes it can be paralyzing. But Lord, I ask by your Holy Spirit now, would you inspire us to action? Let us spend our money. Let us spend our hours and our time wisely building the kingdom where moth and rust do not decay and thieves don't break in and steal. We long for our heavenly home, Father. We thank you for salvation. Your salvation comes through no one else but Jesus Christ, and we thank you for that truth. Now, Father God, I, I pray your blessing on the Nicaragua team. I pray on the teams who are going to go, Father. May they represent you in the kingdoms of this world. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that, and all God's people said together, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.